Welcome to my COVID diary. My name is Andrea Hardacre and this is my COVID diary. Like everybody else worldwide, I'm trying to get to grips with a whole new lifestyle during the corona pandemic. I decided to chart my journey here. May 14th, 2020. Where to begin? It feels like the world has become one gigantic ball of tangled wool. There's no clear way forward, no end in sight, just chaos. That's what COVID-19 has done to us. It's tied us all in knots. It's been a challenging week. It's been a challenging week in the news with no clear guideline here in England as to a way forward through this mess. Go to work if you can, but really you should stay at home. We're lifting lockdown, but our numbers are actually going up. Our numbers are going up, but some of them might not accurately reflect the number of deaths from COVID-19. They could be more, they could be less. We might be in the clear by October, but there may be a second wave by Christmas. We're all going to be skint, but everyone will have to adapt their offices to make sure they have the proper equipment to protect their staff. And so on, and so on, and so on. No one can agree on the way forward. I'm tired. On a personal level, it's been equally challenging. My husband, who's been ill with the virus since January, had to have a tooth removed this week. It was quite a challenge to get the dentist to see him for obvious reasons, but after three or four loads of antibiotics, I could see that his body couldn't take much more. Paul is one of those who just gets on with it. He's rarely sick and doesn't want to make a fuss, but behind the scenes, he's actually been worryingly ill. I'm hoping he's about to turn a corner. With no way of seeing a doctor, it's difficult to even know what's wrong with him. It can be difficult to remain upbeat at times like this. I'm doing okay. I have my moments, but largely I just get on with it. It's not been easy watching Paul suffer, but it could be worse. It could be so, so much worse. A few years back, I got into Buddhism in a serious way. I've been attending meditation classes on and off since my 20s, but I actually attended weekly sessions for some time, and I have to say, I've never looked back. The one thing that troubles me, though, is this. One of the most useful things I learnt was to live in the moment, not in the past, not in the tomorrow, but in the right now. That was easier to do when I had events marked in my diary to look forward to, when every day seemed different to the one before. Now it's much more of a challenge. It's a serious issue just now. Reports in the paper over the weekend show that people with no history of mental illness are developing serious psychological problems for the first time as a result of lockdown, amid growing stresses over isolation, job insecurity, relationship breakdown and bereavement. There's also been a spike in the number of suicides. Men aged 18 to 25 are reported to have been badly affected by first-time mental health issues. Previous research suggests they feel the worst affected by restrictions on their movement and are most likely to flout the lockdown. Eight weeks into lockdown measures, the Royal College of Psychiatrists is warning that services could be overwhelmed by a tsunami of mental illness. 
as if we didn't have enough to begin with. So it's tricky times for all of us. In light of this, today I'm bringing you an extended version of my COVID diary. A good friend of mine, Colby Abura, is a trained therapist and counsellor and is used to helping others navigate those trickier emotions. Colbert is a bereavement counsellor and is only too aware of the tsunami of issues she may well have to deal with in the not-so-distant future. I rang her up to chat about the current situation. Apologies for some slight hiccups in the recording, but please do stay tuned. We covered a lot of ground in the space of two short phone calls. It's too much to include at once, so for this episode we mainly focus on grief, an area in which she specialises. The thing about podcasts is you never know who's going to tune in. Hopefully this will be of some help to those who are suffering. Hello. Hello. Colbert? Yes. Hi. I'm ringing you today. I've been doing my um, diary podcast and um, Mm -hmm. I've alluded to mental health a few times in it due to lockdown and also the effects that it's been having on people. And I thought maybe today I would just deviate a little bit from the normal format and um, have a conversation with you. um, Okay. Because this is your area of expertise, isn't it? Um, Yes, I I am a counsellor and therapist um, and I specialise, I suppose, um, um, in sort of bereavement and loss. Right. And so have you noticed that your services, have you had to deal with any sort of COVID-related cases yet? Um, In terms of the COVID, we actually haven't had anybody come through um, that has has had a death. But that doesn't necessarily surprise me uh-huh. at this point. What we have, um, um, people that we have spoken to um, have been people that are affected um, in terms of the isolation by COVID. But actually, I think that this is sort of um, uh, almost uh, the bubble is going to is going to break soon because I think people are still with the lockdown and, and isolation. There are, often, there are still a lot of people that are still in shock. Uh-huh. Um, they're still having to deal with other issues. And, and in lots of ways, when you're behind closed doors, it, it's easier, I suppose. If you're not working, for example, and you're, on, you're, you're spending a lot of time at home, it's easier to almost hide away from the world with your grief. Yeah. And so I think there are lots of people suffering behind closed doors at the moment. But we're not seeing that impact in terms of, people requiring the support but I think it's going to come in a big wave when it does and I mean am I right in saying does there have to be a certain amount of time passes before people can actually get counselling for grief or or is that not the case anymore I think it was a case of a while back um I I think you know in terms of the sort of counselling world there is you know there's private therapists out there that people can see generally sort of um they if they have the capacity, you can see them straight away, but it's a paid for service. Um, And then there are services that are um, funded by, you know, the the health authorities or central government. Um, And unfortunately, you know, even with the NHS, the waiting lists for those services are very, very long, can be sometimes months before you get to speak to somebody. Right. So if you're in a dire situation financially, which many might be, Yes. Let's face it, after lockdown, you know, that mm. that 
that service might be very difficult to come by or do you think yes. that there might be um you know special services put on for people who've lost someone during lockdown well something? i know that at the moment the the government has certainly um through the sort of um clinical commissioning groups um there are they are setting up projects to deal with um people that have been affected by covid um so there is more money being pumped into um services around that and um certainly within the west yorkshire area um you know those services are beginning to be set up where people are looking for capacity of counselors and sometimes bereavement befrienders um who can support um you know the the, the sort of um people um you know who have suffered or have been affected by covid whether through bereavement or or other impacts on their life and these so yes so services are going to be in in place soon and are these befrienders is that a voluntary thing is that just sort of yes and is it just so sort of a bit like a a, a friendly ear or or you know a shoulder yes. to cry on is that what, what you mean by that so there's sort of two levels to the service that sort of within this area, certainly, that, that people would be able to have access to because there's a, that, you know, we know that there have been lots and lots of people that have come forward um, to volunteer, whether that's to support neighbours or said that, you know, I'm available to um, to help and support. And some of those people um, have been asked because there's a pool of them that have registered um, and they will be provided with um sort of um, some training so they're there really for the lower level um, in terms of need um, to support people who maybe just need uh, to talk to somebody um, feeling very isolated um, and then there are people counsellors that are already bereavement and grief and loss trained um, but there are also counsellors out there that are receiving training now around grief and loss so that they're in a better position to support those people. And that will be like a triage system where, you know, somebody will cut a, a phone call will be taken centrally and they will then make the decision through after an assessment as to whether, you know, somebody requires uh, low level support or whether actually somebody requires the services of a therapist and a counsellor. And will you have any sort of special training you personally, you know, to deal with COVID cases or would it just be a case of the kind of standard um, grief counselling that you would normally give? Would that, is that enough, do you think, for the, these kind of circumstances or do, is, um, is it different? I think that when, when you train uh, um, as a counsellor or a therapist, there are sort of varying courses and qualifications that you can, um, that you deal with. Um, I think in terms of a counsellor being prepared to be, to, to be able to deal with the COVID situation, I definitely think that if it's around bereavement, um, that you certainly need additional training to that of, of just a therapist, because it is, um, you know, there are complicated factors within that grief um, in terms of people perhaps not being able to be with their loved ones and so I do think that you need to have a particular form of training I mean I've been lucky in the respect that I'm um, where I did my placement and in terms of the people that I've been seeing a lot of that has been around um, uh, clients who've had bereavement whether that's been through suicide or or natural deaths or child death sometimes um, and I think as a therapist it really is that that you know, being with somebody and 
the practicalities of going through that journey and process with another human being that makes you better and better at your job. So you can you can have a qualification, but you also need to have life experience. You also need to to have a background in being able to deal with um, you know what what your what your uh, what your client is presenting with. So yes, I do think that um, bereavement and grief and loss training does is required of therapists um, to ensure that they can deal with COVID-19 um, and because they're you know we, we deal with complicated um, deaths um, suicides you know very very traumatic and distressing situations and COVID is you know is another is another complex uh, grief and is it going to change the way you work? I mean, will you be working from behind a screen, for example? You know, obviously you've got to protect your own health. Um, how how is that going to work for a therapist? You know, because it's such a such a personal thing, isn't it? Um, and it is. I mean, it, I take it normally you would see a client face to face. Yes. Um, so is it is it going to be done via I don't know Zoom or whatever? you know technology is is accessible or do you think you'll get to a point where you can actually see people in person well all face-to-face counseling has stopped um you know whether you're in private practice or whether you're working for an um, agency or whether you're a volunteer um so everything is either done via the telephone or online um and that is usually a choice that's given to the client in terms of how they want to pursue that i i don't know um, in terms of when that's going to be at the face-to-face, we're going to be allowed to do that because often um, counselling rooms are very closed spaces. Um, I don't, I don't think there's many counselling spaces that have, you know, where you could do the two meters apart. Yeah. So I don't think that form of therapy is going to be available for some time. But certainly, um, you know. As therapists, I think we've always felt that, you know, oh, it can't be done any other way. It has to be done face to face because of the human connection. But actually, um, having sort of um, undertaken telephone and online counselling with clients myself, um, yes, you are working in a different way, but it certainly um, is still very beneficial um, to somebody that is going through a, a distressing situation because you just have to hone in on other skills more so perhaps than than um, you have before um so you have to listen harder for tone of voice and things like that um whereas before you had body language which is very very important in therapy when you're looking at how somebody is processing loss you know what their eyes look like what their body looks like when they're talking about a particular thing um that, that's distressing them you can learn a lot from that by being in the same room but it doesn't mean that really good work can't be done over the telephone and online. And we're discovering that, you know, because this potentially could be the way of therapy for some time. Well, I noticed actually, even on one website I was looking at, you know, for a sort of help website when I was researching this, that they, they mm-hmm. even have a, a part where they say, you know, write as a letter. And I guess yeah. in some ways, you know, when you're face to face with someone, it, it might be easier to open up if you are on a telephone or you are able to write something down. Um, do you think there's yes. any, any truth in that? I, I definitely think there's truth in that. I mean, we've we've I've certainly with other therapists had discussions around actually you know when somebody is actually sitting in their space at home mm-hmm. it 
potentially is a safer space for them because yeah. it's their ter- they're not coming into your therapy room yeah. they're, they're they're in a place that for, for many will be a safe place for them uh, within their home um and so they they are more likely to open up now i know through working with um social workers in the past where they've said to me that that you know when they've been working with younger children some of the best conversations they've ha- they've had with those children is when they're driving them somewhere there's yeah. no eye contact so children are able to open up because it doesn't seem like somebody's glaring at them and they're having to suddenly open up and it's too intimate for them yeah. in actual fact sometimes the distance of of a computer or a telephone allows that person to feel safer and therefore opens up and discloses far more than perhaps they would have done if they were looking that person in the face or were in their presence so yes there's definitely benefits of it now that might not be the case for everybody but yeah. it certainly will be for many many people and in terms of services do you think we've got enough um or do you think services are going to become completely overwhelmed by this i mean it just seems the numbers are so hard to grasp aren't they the numbers of people who have died from this it's, it just seems incredible and you know um do you think we've got we've got enough in place or do we need more i i certainly think we're going to need more resources because i think you know there are different aspects of how covid has affected people um and you know counseling you know there's the bereavement element of it in terms of bereavement and loss and that means that somebody has died and passed away you've got those um individuals and people who have dealt with really distressing situations um and maybe sitting there with all that grief of a loved one dying you then have people that may um that this has affected them in a way where you know for months and months on end they have been sitting in their homes and haven't and have been worrying about the financial implications or are affected by financial implications you then have people that were very lonely to start off with and the isolation has heightened that mm-hmm. people who already had mental health um sort of issues and um uh, uh, will cope in terms of coping and on top of that the anxiety of this unknown terrible disease with all these unknowns of when when we're going to get back to any kind of normality that there's a whole host of issues out there that COVID is going to have a knock-on effect on. Yes, the loss of loved ones, but all the other implications. So I think it's going to be huge in terms of people coming out. Um, and at the moment, I think we're just not seeing it because, like I said before, I think people are suffering behind closed doors. Well, I mean, even when it just started, you know, um, my husband is, I mean, he laughs about it, but he's slightly OCD. But, you know, even even mm. those kind of qualities he, he is yes. very conscious of germs and so mm-hmm. you know he was repeatedly as we all were washing our, his hands but his hands were yes. getting red raw and it's it's very mm-hmm. difficult isn't it if you have an issue like that or even if yes. you're agoraphobic and you were sort of overcoming that you know this yes. this is going to play into all these kind of mental health problems isn't it, it it's going to compound what was already there for some people, definitely by the isolation and by that issue of sort of, you know, often with OCD and when it's related to sort of somebody having, you know, their germs being out there, it's it's sort of, you know, it, it's you, it, the mind is playing, it is it's almost on a reel of, of, you know, this is dangerous, this is dangerous. And then suddenly it's actually a reality because it's all around you. Yeah. 
it's a reality that if you touch something outside, that you could potentially die. So that heightened anxiety for somebody suffering from those types of symptoms with OCD are very, very real. Um, And can, you know, something that was contained now becomes much, much bigger. And so that's going to take more work in terms of therapy or counselling to get that person back to perhaps where they were coping before. It's not about completely you know uh, 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 eradicating an issue for for sometimes it's for some people it's just about managing um uh, a place that they're at for others you know it works where you know certain things and symptoms completely go away but it's just it's yeah it's it's a it's going to be a very very strange and difficult time i think for um for people um once um uh, you know i think we'll see it when, when when we're out of lockdown really and how how is it affecting you personally? You know, if you, uh, I mean, I suppose in some ways you have your own worries to deal with, but also that thought that you obviously you're going to be a lot busier, you're going to have some very complex cases to deal with. How how do you cope with all that? You know, even just reading the paper when I'm reading about somebody who mm. has suffered a loss like that, it can really affect you. You know, um, how how do mm. you cope personally? I mean, in terms of sort of training as a, as a, as a counsellor and a therapist um, or dealing with any sort of um, issues around um, mental health, um, we're, we are taught um, about the importance of self-care. Um, and that's part of our sort of ethical practice. We need to, you know, I as a therapist need to make sure that when I pick up that phone or I, you know, go online with a client, that I'm in a I'm congruent that I am in a good place myself where I'm not carrying stuff, whether that's anxiety. And I'm a human being and, 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 you know, there are times that I get anxious and there are times that I, you know, the the personal stuff may go on. But it's about knowing how to sort of um, take care of myself where I'm aware that that is an issue for me but that I can box it. You know, people do it in very different ways. I know that when I go for a walk and I go into wooded areas, um, I can get rid of stuff that's sitting in me, emotional stuff that perhaps I've held on to um, because I've listened to it. So that's how I get rid of it. I need to make sure that I exercise, that I eat properly, that I take care of myself, um, that if I um, am finding that, that I have regular clinical supervision um because um i also need to talk things through but you know we're human and sometimes we are in those places and it's about recognizing that i actually this is not a good thing to do at the moment i need a break from it um because people need to be very careful that they don't burn out um when they are speaking to to covid patients because you know, if you look at if you think about some of the stories that are, that you know that are coming out from hospitals in terms of how emotionally nurses are having to deal with it, it's because it's constant. Yeah. It's constantly having to deal with distressing situations, and they're seeing those situations and they're carrying those situations emotionally. So not only are they physically exhausted, they will be emotionally exhausted from seeing very distressing things. And, and very it's about different circumstances because normally, yes. you know, healthcare workers or even carers, they tend to be helping people. They tend to, you know, the majority, mm. I would suspect, of their patients yes. will get better, but not yes. not so in this case, which is, you know, no. it, it must affect them hugely. It's um, a lot to carry home with you, isn't it? 
yeah, I think, you know, death will, you know, affect human beings massively. I think, you know, it's, you know, and, and you know, often, you know, well, nurses and, and, and doctors go into that profession because they are of a caring nature. Um, so, you know, they care about patients, they care about the people that they're seeing in that in that environment and losing them um, will be distressful for frontline workers. And I know that there is money also um, from central government and local government coming into to local areas to support um, NHS workers, frontline workers, um, care workers and key workers who are dealing with that um, to provide free services so that, um, you know, volunteers supporting that um, so that there's somebody there to be able to deal um, with that for, for key workers. And what about so breaking it down a little bit? So if you if you are at home grieving and you are alone, are there mm. any kind of everyday things that could help you through this awful time? Is there any sort of everyday tips that you could give to any listeners who are in this situation? Or um, I mean, it's it, I know it's a very individual thing, grief, but. Mm. Um, it, it can feel so heavy and it's it's always there isn't it it's waiting for you when you go to bed it's there mm. when you wake up in the morning um and it's a lonely feeling i think even when there are people around you i think mm. you know even when you're sharing a house with people grief is a very lonely experience mm. uh, yeah, i do think again it's sort of i suppose self-help tips in terms of trying to keep your mental well-being when you've also suffered um a loss of a loved one um is that you know it's it's going to be for many people it will be um very emotionally um a lot of emotional turmoil but in and amongst that you know routine is really important um trying to ensure that you know even though you might want to get out of bed is that you do get out of bed you do the simple things like brush your teeth wash your face um if you're feeling up to it make sure that you know you're getting out of your pajamas um, and trying to get yourself out into the outdoors for some fresh air daily, if you can, if not at least every second day, once a week. Um, but make sure that it's uh, um, that you put it down, maybe write it down as part of a routine for yourself. Um, whether it's something you know that you want to, um, something that you know makes you feel better. So water, having a shower, having a bath that can often make the people feel better. And they're very small things, mm -hmm. but sometimes those are the small things, especially at, at this point in time, that can just keep us ticking over to make sure that we're going from one day to the next. Um, and sometimes acknowledging that, you know, you are going to be extremely sad. Um, and if you do have people that can call you up, then ask them, ring them if you need to speak to somebody and just to have a cry or, you know, to, to, to allow yourself to be sad um and not sort of sit there and think well i've just got to you know i've got to get on with it because it's okay to be sad because when a loved one dies it is very sad um and to experience those emotions but also to ensure um that you know you're doing nice things for yourself being kind to yourself putting in a bit of a routine um speaking to people there's lots of stuff help self-help um information through the internet through healthy minds various um, organizations the samaritans um, bereavement services there's lots of voluntary stuff out there where people can talk to you over the phone 
So make sure that if you are struggling, that you are reaching out because it's often very difficult at, at, point, at times like this when you've got lockdown. But, you know, you might just get lost behind that closed door. So more and more making sure that you are trying to reach out because there are definitely people out there um, that can be supportive. And just, you know, neighbours and, and other people in the community just being aware that if somebody has had a loss, you know, just a phone call to listen to them, you know, can can be massive or a, a text message to say, thinking of you, you yeah. know, that can really make a huge difference to somebody's day um, when they're feeling very low, just that there's somebody out there because it's a connection and humans crave create, um, connection, um, especially so in distressing times when it may feel like, you know, I'm really alone in this and and, you know, your mind can go to very dark places at times like that. So, you know, we we really need to look after each other as a as a society as a, and as a human race at this point in time, because, um, you know, there are people dealing with um, a lot of stuff that's that's very distressing. And for those of us that are able to making sure that we do that as human beings, reaching out to people, making sure they're OK. I think I've noticed as well as I've got older that, you know, you often feel like you have to have the right words for people who are suffering. Mm. But actually, you don't, do you? You, you no, actually you have don't. to have a, a, a listening ear. That's the most important yeah. thing. Um, and often, yeah, often people don't necessarily want people because we don't, you know, unless you're sort of trained, people don't always say the right thing. Yeah. You know, um, people talk, talk about moving on. You know, people... People who've had loved ones that I don't want to hear words like that. You know, it's okay. Time will make it better. You know, those are, are, are not things that people who are bereaved want to hear. No. And simply by just saying, you know, um, I'm here for you, and simply just listening, yeah. really listening to them, um, sometimes repeating back what you've heard them say. That is all they want. They just want that human connection to be able to get out of their own bodies the distress and the emotions that are sitting in, in there and they just need somebody to listen um, and that's it. Okay, well, thanks ever so much. I'm sure that's really helpful to, to listeners and um, I really appreciate you coming on the show to, to talk about this. Um, and Thank you for having me.